Oh, live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We are going to go to uh, an interview that we pre-recorded with uh, Linda Swain. Uh, she's a active LDS transgender uh, person that I was able to interview and I learned a lot and was able to uh, see some things that I have never seen before relative to this subject. But first of all, we've been telling you about a heart in the parking lot. We used to do these things called heart in the park where we'd do open water baptisms and have like a party and we'd have Adams Road play and hundreds and hundreds of people would show up. And we did our own little uh, heart in the parking lot and had some baptisms and Wendy put together uh, some stuff that she gathered from that. So let's take a look. That was great. Rachel, Patrick, and Gaylene all being baptized. I, baptisms still touch me. I, I just find them to be beautiful outward expressions of an inward faith, and so it's always uh, a blessing to, partic uh, to participate in them. Okay, with our program tonight being pre-recorded with Linda, um, I want to preface the interview with some really uh, important explanations about Christianity and I'm not sure many people outside or even inside the faith comprehend. This is from a biblical perspective, and I will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody about these perspectives, though many Christians will disagree with some of them. Just give me five minutes of your time, and we're going to go to Linda. Christians believe that the world, and when I say the world, I mean all the creatures, creations, uh, animals of every kind, and human, uh, enter life into a fallen state. Um, this is a fundamental Christian belief. And I'm not going to explain why that is tonight, uh, but understand that this is the Christian view. All creation, in particular all human beings, are alienated from a direct relationship with God 
from our natural birth because of our fallen nature. And this is why Jesus, when he walked the earth, he said, you must be born again. Being born once in our natural self isn't going to do it. You have to be born again or born from above. Now, some people are corrupted in their nature when they are born into this world by their propensity to gossip or to hate other people or to be proud. Some people are mean and some people are perverts, sexual perverts. And uh, others are, you know, unfaithful to spouses. The list goes on and on and on of the fallen traits that human beings are capable of housing. But here's the important part. From the Christian perspective, in God's eyes, it really doesn't matter if you're a gossip or if you're an adulterer. What matters is that you are alienated from him. And all people need to come and be regenerated, born again, and, and have relationship with him. So we like to, as humans, categorize sin and, and different problems that we all have in a hierarchy. But God says in James, and he also says it in Galatians, that look at man, you can obey the entire law of God perfectly and fail in one point. And if you fail in one point, you're screwed. You, you see, so the law isn't going to do it. Okay, so uh, my lust for women, for instance, is not any worse than a homosexual male's lust for men is or a, a woman's propensity to lie is. It is just the sin nature that we're talking about. All right, that's the first Christian point. The second Christian point to know is that, know this emphatically, that God so loved the world I'm talking about the fallen world that we all are born into. He so loved the world that he gave his only human son, a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And his son had the fullness of God with him, and he was God's only begotten, only his only human son. And he loved the world so much he gave us that son, gave his son to do what? He gave his son to come to earth, take on a body and be born of a woman, born under the law, live a sanctified life, love people so much that he died for us and then he resurrected from the grave and he overcame sin and death. That is what scripture teaches. Now listen, this is good news because Jesus did this for the sins of the world. All right? And while all were in sin, while the world was corrupt and in sin, Jesus died for us. That's what scripture says. So he didn't die for you because you're worthy to receive what he did. He died as you were a sinner. Before you repent, before you change, Jesus died and saved you from your sin. Now, that he came and paid for the sinfulness of your life, no matter what that sinfulness is in your life, he's paid for, and he paid the price for you, and it's yours to have freely. It is a gift of grace given to you. There's no earning it in any way. So that good news, I like to preach it as a foregone conclusion to anybody. Did you know Jesus died for you and saved you from your sin? Saved, past tense. Not, did you know you can be saved, that you can be forgiven. Instead, I teach Jesus did it for you, 
past, present, and future, and there's the gift. The third Christian point I want to make is that when he lived, and then he died, and then he rose again on the third day, this is tough for some people, he had the total victory over all things. He had the total victory over all things. He had the total victory once and for all. Let me emphasize that. When I say once, it means he did it once and it doesn't have to happen ever again. It happened. It doesn't have to happen through you sacrificing yourself, blood, money, time to be worthy. He did it once and then for all. He did it for everybody, everyone from the beginning of time, whoever steps foot on this earth or has life on this earth, he did it for all. He has, according to scripture, had the total and complete victory over all things that kept this world alienated from God. Okay? Now, while I call this the Christian view, there are many Christians who balk at that explanation and they say nonsensical things like, well, he hasn't had the victory yet. That is not proven by scripture. Scripture proves otherwise. Or everyone must receive this gift from him by faith in order to benefit from it. And or his sacrifice, some people say he didn't really die for all. He only died for some. All of those things I would strongly suggest are incorrect. Stuff like that drives me nuts, but I propose to you that what he did was for all, even this, listen to this, even irrespective of their faith. He paid for the sin of the whole world, irrespective of whether someone's a believer or not, irrespective of whether someone's a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or not. He paid for the sins of all, had the victory over all things, and is Lord and Savior uh, of the world. Now, add to this fact that having had this victory once and for all, that all the elements that existed in the Old Testament, listen, the Sheol, which is also called hell, and Satan, who was called the accuser and the adversary to the Hebrews, and his coming back with judgment and fire to destroy the age, all of that has occurred. That is how he has had the victory over all completely total, and we enter into a new age. Christians don't believe this. They want to preach that Jesus is coming back and people are still going to hell and Satan is still stealing souls, all of which say Jesus hasn't had the victory. It's not true. I absolutely will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any pastor on the stage who wants to suggest otherwise, and we can, we can do that anytime they want. I submit to you they're incorrect with such stuff. I think they mean well, but they've just bought into traditions. Therefore, this world that we live in today, ever since 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed and a million one Jews were slaughtered and the rest were pushed out into the world and dispersed, which was the end of the world for them, the end of the age for them, when he came back and had the total victory and introduced a completely new age, since this age, we are now the recipient of great news. It was good news to the house of Israel when Jesus came, called the gospel, because if they believed on him, they would not have been killed at the end destruction that he promised was coming. That was good news for them. 
For us, it's great news because he's had the total victory over all things. Now, the good news was for them, believe and be saved from hell, which existed at that time, and from the coming destruction. For us, the great news is that he has had the victory over this entire world, and it's been done. What, I'm going to finish up now. What does this good, great news look like? Two parts. There is now a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. You want to read about it in Revelation 21 through 22.5? It describes what we have been in since the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And the great news includes the fact that heaven is a destination for all souls ever since the age wrapped up with Jesus coming back and destroying Jerusalem. All souls die, go to heaven. Now listen, don't mistake. The new Jerusalem is in heaven and those who are his go inside that. And it has a wall around it that has city gates that are open 24 seven, it says, day and night. And there are people who live outside those city gates. That is how it is described. And, and the new Jerusalem, outside of the new Jerusalem are the liars and the whoremongers and the, all the people who didn't care about God. Inside are his people. That is the way it is described. The new Jerusalem and those outside of it are not described as in pain, as screaming for, because they're in flames. It just describes them in their fallen unredeemed state because they haven't yet said Jesus is Lord I want to know him and be close to God so somewhere along the line everyone has the choice to enter into those gates into the eternities I believe that and that's why I call the great news total reconciliation where Jesus has had the victory, he's done everything necessary as the New and Old Testament describe, and now we live our life. So let's wrap it up with this. I think everything I've said describes great news. However, the world we live in now and have been living in for some 2,000 years is now a choice. There are two groups, the way scripture describes the choices that are made. One group says, I love, seek, and want to know God. I want to make God the focus of my life. I want to know truth about God. That group has a focus on the kingdom to come. And they have a focus on heavenly, eternal things. The other group says, I don't give a rat's rear end about God. I only care about this life. I care about what I'm all about in this life. And God gives them that right, and he blesses both groups equally. And he rewards accordingly. We will reap what we sow in terms of location and proximity to God. Those who love him and seek him and want him here will have proximity to him in the New Jerusalem. Those who don't give a rat's rear end about God here will not have proximity to God there. And for them, it might not even be a punishment. For them, it might be exactly what they want, and God gives them what they want. So that is how we see the world now. These two different approaches to life is the world that we are living in. And I just want to say, as Christians, it can be difficult when you're engaging with people who only care about this world. Because you want to 
correct them, you want to chide them, you want to judge them, but this is their world. We're the visitors here. So we have to share love with all people as a means to, to express what's available to them because many of them don't know it. Tonight you are about to meet a man who has struggled with his gender for decades. I don't, didn't understand this really going into this. His story is one of guilt and difficulty and shame. But what I love about this man is that while his gender and this whole thing has certainly taken hold of his life because that's what he's battled with, he has kept his eye on God. He has kept, excuse me, she has kept her eye. I made that mistake in the interview too. She has kept her eye on God. She has chosen that even though she entered this world in a fallen state, quite mixed up state to be frank, she has still chosen to keep her eye upon God. I know homosexuals who have their eye upon Jesus, who love Jesus. All of them are my brothers or sisters because they haven't said, I am this way, therefore I am of the world. They said, I am this way and I am still for God and my hat's off to them. So here we go with Linda Swain. Okay, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Linda. I really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to get right into our discussion. I want to learn all I can from Linda uh, right here live. I picked her up in front of the uh, Family History, Family History Museum? Yeah. No, Family History Library. Library today. And um, she was out conversing with another woman. And the woman, as I was just could see them, and the woman asked if they could take a picture together. And uh, so uh, Linda's affable, makes friends very easy, easily. And in the car ride over here to the church studio, I said, I, I don't really don't want to know anything about uh, what we're going to talk about necessarily. Just let's just have a conversation. And she was fine with that. I want to just cover some things right off the bat. I posted something on Facebook this morning and uh, it, it says, I'm interviewing a transgender male to female woman this morning coming out of an older generation and years of institutional religious thinking, I am gently apprehensive about this topic. I have no problem with the transgender issue itself, morally or spiritually, but I do wonder about all the parading some people do when making the decision to trans over. Should be interesting, see it on Heart of the Matter in a few weeks. And then I've got just a number of comments, most people supportive, but almost all of them informing me that what I said was seemed to be a parading is actually uh, the person finally being able to be free with who they are, and they're just, they, it's just like they're a freed animal from a cage. They get to run free and be happy and be themselves, and so they're exuberant and joyful, and that was more than emphasized by the people who commented on that. So I, I learned. Now, there was one person on there who, who was a, obviously a, a, a transgender person, and she said, you know, you're ignorant and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're just showing your bias. Uh, it's not a showing of bias. I am ignorant. I don't have knowledge of this. I, don't, I just learned the difference between transgender and trans, um, 
Trans- transvestite. Transvestite. You know, I come from a different generation. And remember, there's a lot of people older than me that are in the same place. So we're living in an age when these things are being broken down. And Linda is help, helping to do that for the trans, transgender uh, community. And very articulate, uh, etc. So I just want to point out that I'm not coming to this with a perfect knowledge. I am bringing, I'm certain, some kinds of prejudice to the table because that's how I was raised. I mean, this is real discussion here, guys. This isn't feigning some sort of I've got it all together and I'm talking with someone who has uh, got it all together and we can disagree. You get that from the one side. This is a side that I'm trying to learn so that we can all grow together and the world can be a better place. What is the difference quickly between transgender, transsexual, transvestite, tranny, and a crossdresser? Okay, transgender, uh, transsexual, and tranny are usually all referred to the same thing. Okay. Transvestite, well, there's, you have, really have three categories. Drag queen, they do it for the entertainment. Oh, okay. And like trans- RuPaul. Pardon? Like RuPaul. Exactly. Okay. A transvestite generally does it for a fetish. Oh, okay. Okay, and then the transgender is one who feels like they really should be, that they were born in the wrong body. Oh, excellent. All right, excellent. Good, good to know. Uh, and, and we talked, how far does one go in transgendering? Uh, we know you can go the full way and be completely remodeled. What is tra- transgendering can be categorized as going this far to how far? Uh, you could go from no hormones and no surgeries to full surgery, creation of a vagina and breast implants and facial surgery and the whole nine yards. Wow. Fascinating. And then um, we don't we don't want to talk about how far do you intend to go? Can I ask you that? I'm still not 100% certain. Okay. Okay. All right. How I want to start here with Linda, and I really do appreciate your bravery to to do this with me. Um, People tell me that just by appearance, but you're a a strong woman, but by appearance I'm intimidating because of the way I talk. And you're you're sitting here with me and you're openly discussing things that otherwise have probably been terrifying to you at some point in your life. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So uh, this is a remarkable coming out, so to speak. Uh, I would love to start with your personal history, but we got to do it fairly quickly. Summarize mom and dad, siblings, born where, interest in high school, uh, and then intersperse, if you would, Linda, feelings of gender um, problems, problems you're having with gender as you're growing up, and then talk about um, marriage, your own family, and then we will move on and talk about some other things specifically. Okay, I was born in Olympia, Washington, and uh, mom and dad were members of the Mormon church, very active. There's nine children in the family. I'm number five out of nine. Um, Middle children are the best. That's right. (laughs) Um, There's seven boys and two girls. Excuse me, six boys and three girls. And um, so growing up was... um, was a difficult process in, in many ways because I realized at a very young age that I had an interest in dressing. That's, but I didn't understand anything about it. There's no internet back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad was bipolar, I, and he could be 
a little mean sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel like I could talk it to dad about anything this sensitive. And if I talked to mom, he would talk, she would talk to dad, and then I'd probably get a beating. Oh. So I didn't want to do that. And if I talked to the church leaders, they would talk to them and same consequence. So mm -hmm. I felt very much alone. I don't think I ever told anybody in my youth how I felt. From about what age, do you remember? I mean, was it from as young as you can think back? I actually have a picture of me at an age one and a half standing next to my next older sister and we're both in little dresses, which makes me wonder, did mom know something? Wow. I'm really not sure why she did that. Wow. But it was around age five or six that I stole my sister's panties to try. And I thought they were pretty cool. I love the feel of them and all that. And wow. I remember Five. Going, yeah. I remember going to my cousin's house, and I was probably 10 or 11, and asked my female cousin if I could sleep in her baby doll pajamas. I thought that would be fun. Okay. Um, my dad's sister had foster girls, and she would bring over bags of clothes, and I would try to sneak through them and pull out clothes and hide them. And I remember I was probably, probably about 12, roughly, I put on a bra and put my t-shirt over, figuring, well, it's covered, nobody will see it. Wow. And I went downstairs and, and the family immediately saw it and started making fun of me and stuff. Wow. Um, now, let me interrupt. So in terms of the clothes, it was just the clothes that you liked the style, you liked the feel, or was there, did it give you an association with femininity that you weren't getting from your clothes uh, in male clothes? I'm not sure at that age that I really understood what okay. it was. I, it was something that I um, felt compelled to do, but I didn't understand for many years why. Hmm. I just thought it was just something that I enjoyed, but I, at the same time, I tried very hard to quit, hmm. thinking that it was wrong, and certainly church teachings was that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't quit. So you um, felt guilt? I felt guilt. Absolutely, I felt guilt. And... Um, and I tried to do all the manly things and so forth. Uh, I went on a mission for the church and all that and came back and uh, married my, my wife who knew about it right from the very beginning. No kidding. Um, and when I finally came out after a 45-year marriage, she said she wanted to, to separate. She didn't want to see me at all. So she never seen me dressed. And I just told her I couldn't live that way anymore. I had to, Linda had to be free. Did uh, through your marriage you would dress, but just not in her presence. Right. So every opportunity I got, I would dress. And she knew that. She knew that. Yeah. Didn't like it, but she knew it. Hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you came to the table of the marriage and you said, "Look, this is something that I do." And she married you, knowing that, and stayed in the marriage forty-five years. Yep. Was it a happy marriage? For the most part. But, I mean, marriages are tough. Right. But the one thing that was really very hard is every time we had a disagreement, she would always throw this oh. issue at me. Oh. And that got old. That got very old. Yeah. I felt marriage is a teeter-totter, but in my case, I could never balance it out because I had this huge elephant on my end of it. Oh, yeah. And no matter how good I did... <laughs> You're I, in trouble. I, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I just can't get there. And because she didn't like it at all... I really avoided talking about it because it was just, it was going to be an argument. It was going to be upsetting, and I just, I didn't talk about it. 45 years of marriage and divorce, and that's sensitive. That didn't happen that long ago, the divorce, right? 
I just got divorced in March. In March, yeah. And that's I just hard. came out last September. Only September you've been yes. So you're really, I mean, just hearing that, you really are feeling liberated because now you're, I mean, you're on a show that is going to be seen by thousands of people and you are, you've gone from the point of hiding it to the point where your wife never saw you for 45 years and just since you've been divorced, now you're on a show. Talking, so it really is a form of, wow, I just now can be free and I'm not afraid to say anything. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, to me, it felt like a huge burden lift off my shoulders when I finally came out. Okay. And by the way, I came out at age, I was almost 69 when I came out. Wow. Well, you look great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's the thing that people aren't understanding maybe from the uh, ignorant side that I represent in some ways here, is that what we say is, well, why don't you just just keep it to yourself and fine you want to you want to uh, go this route it's okay i mean most people be like it's okay some people are going to be religious freaks and be like no you're going to hell but most people are like oh, but why do you have to go and make it such a big deal and that's what the people on facebook were telling me sean what they're really and i think that's evident from what you've said you kept it under wraps and finally man you are mount vesuvius and it is out Hence the pride parades too, maybe with the homosexuals, is the parade. And John Dillon told me that. Yeah, and I have been in the pride parade now. Let me ask you, and I don't understand this, is this homosexuality? Is it a different form, expression of homosexuality? Not at all. Many people make that assumption. Yeah. But um, your sexual preferences usually stay the same. So if you're homosexual before, you're probably going to be homosexual afterwards. Okay. I was attracted to women before I'm attracted to women now, so I guess I'm lesbian. <laughs> and we live in a world that is just giddy up, baby. <laughs> we are changing terms all over the place. So you still, at this present moment, are attracted to women? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's so fascinating. This is just a fascinating subject. So, did you have children? I had three children. Uh, two boys and a girl, and they're all older, from between 36 and 43. Raised in the church? Yes. None of them are active at the moment, but they were all raised in the church. And, and we then, lived around the world with the military. Been around the world with the military. And that, by the way, what did you do professionally um, and educationally? Uh, well, educationally, I have a bachelor's degree in civil engineering with a minor in Spanish and an MBA. And then I joined You're a smart the, woman. Thank you. You're welcome. And then I joined uh, the military actually to finish my education because I couldn't see how to pay for it. And so I went in and enlisted and worked on nuclear missiles at first. And then they sent me to college to finish my degree in engineering. And then I became an engineering officer. And um, then I was released from the military, had a medical discharge from the military. Mm -hmm. Actually came, uh, I contracted leprosy while I was in the military. You're kidding. No. In Hawaii? No, no. Um, I thought it was a dead disease. I didn't, I didn't even think it existed anymore. That's what most people think. But I contract. I was the first person discharged from the military in over 10 years with leprosy. Unbelievable. And it takes 3 to 15 years to after you're um, contacted with, after you have contact with the bacteria before you, it actually displaces itself. You were just in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it communicable? No. Oh. How do you get it? They don't know. Fascinating. How did it manifest itself? 
Uh, it started out with a small spot on my leg, and um, my wife at the time said, you better have that seen, and we were in Panama at the time, and I said, we live in the jungle, some bug bit me, it'll go away, and two years later, it was the size of football, and other spots were showing up too, and I said, I think it's time I see a doctor on this. And uh, when I went to the doctor, they didn't know what to do. They tried different, every month they'd give me a different topical cream. And finally they sent me to the University of Nebraska Medical Center. For, and they said, we don't know what it is. Let's take a biopsy. And when I back, went back to read the biopsy, they, they told me that it was a uh, leprosy. Unbelievable story. And so Jungian in terms of it's fitting this, what's happening now. Because from a biblical perspective, which is my worldview, I mean, the leprosy was Jesus' whole deal. He came and he loved the lepers, the outcasts, the social outcasts. So in some ways, you're fulfilling this in another way now. Yep. You've been a leper in a couple ways in your life. Yeah, and I lost friends as a leper, too. Did you really? Oh, yeah, I did. People were afraid of me. This is really fascinating, Linda. So uh, how are the children responding to course, divorce is going to split things up, uh, the transgenderism. Uh, they're having difficulty with it. Uh, it's a huge change for them. And my wife likes to tell me, you know, people talk about the change for you, but it's, it's hard on us too. Yeah. And it certainly is. It's, many people feel like um, for the family, it's a death in the family. Mm. Um, my son expressed that to me. It felt like I had died when he went through my clothes to pick out what he wanted when I got rid of my clothes and stuff. Mm. So they struggle with it. I have one son that is quite accepting, at, at least understanding, and does talk to me. The other two do not talk to me anymore. I'm friends with my wife, but she doesn't want to see me. It, uh, and I have to be honest here that it takes, uh, I don't know what would happen if my dad uh, announced that he was transgender simply because you're so used to looking at somebody with your eye that and, and so even not knowing you to look at you it can be more difficult it's just difficult because i can see male representations in a female overall female representation and so these things cause this in us we we want to destroy what we don't understand Yes. But I can say in getting to understand you more, I don't have any, I've never had a desire to destroy you, but I'm starting to see you as Linda and it becomes much easier to love you and accept all that you're talking about as I get to know you better. And that's really important. I, but I can't understand how difficult it would be for a child. That, that I, I have great empathy for your children because it would be tough. Nevertheless, you loved and supported your children for 45 years of marriage. But nevertheless, what you said is on the scale of decision-making now, I'm 69 years old, they're grown, I have to make a decision for myself now. And they're gonna have to learn to adjust. Exactly. Yeah. I just, uh, it seemed like as I got older, the need to be me became stronger. And I finally got to the point, I, I just can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I hear that, that phrase, it really is. I just, was there a point in time in your life? I mean, I just can't do this anymore. Do you remember the day? It was last summer. Anything happen or it was um, up to here? And <laughs> No, my wife went back to New York to visit our daughter. 
And before she left, she says, please don't spend any money on clothes and stuff. And, and once again, I promised that I wouldn't dress and so forth. And I made that promise every time she left and I could never keep it. As soon as she, her foot was out the door, I was pulling out my clothes that I had hidden and, and dressing. And it was just a real need. And uh, once she got back, I told her, I said, we've got to talk about this. I've got to have some time for me. And I proposed, how about uh, I, can, I can move into the upstairs bedroom and make that my, my bedroom and stuff? She said, no, I don't want that. I said, well, how about when you go quilting, then I'll get dressed up and I'll go down to the mall and I'll go meet with some friends and have lunch or whatever. And I'll give you a call when I'm ready to come home. So you can go somewhere, you don't have to see me, and I'll get back into mail mode, and, and we'll go on. And she said, no, I, I can't do that. And I, I really honestly think that she knew how deep the need was, and she expressed to me, if I give you an inch, I know you're going to take a mile. So I think she was afraid to let the genie out of the box, and if it ever got out of the box, that was it. And then um, she left to go home to help her sister, and at that point, we had been talking about it, and she called me after a few days and said, have you decided what you're going to do? And I said, Linda's going to come out. And she said, okay, I want you out of the house before I get back. Wow. So. Wow. Uh, it is uh, a multifaceted uh, situation. Oh, very much so. Uh, can I ask, not to get too personal, but were re marital relations normal for the 45 years? You're attracted to women. You're attracted to your wife. She, she wasn't like, you've become a woman and therefore you're not uh, caring for my needs physically and emotionally as a husband? Um, to be honest, the last five to ten years, we weren't very intimate. I see. And I think me being, her knowing my need to be a woman was a, a part of it. Mm -hmm. So... There does was it, an impact. Does it carry over in your ma former masculinity as a husband in a marriage, uh, even though you're not dressing that way or anything else in her presence, your home, you're watching TV, you're eating popcorn, are you fully in her eyes a male figure to her? Or are, is there, are there things that are seeping in that she's starting to say, I'm not attracted to you this way anymore? I think there were things... Uh, seeping in. I was Got starting it. to wear things. I see. And under my male clothes, and she didn't didn't like that much. Yeah. It's fascinating because I mean I'm not judging your wife at all, but it seems like in a marriage that if if a spouse can let go and let be, that the marriage can thrive if they have that capacity. It it does happen, although in in a marriage where one person is transgender, I think particularly if the male is transgender to female, I think wives have a hard time accepting that in many, many cases because in our society, the woman depends on the man. Yeah. And their dream is to marry a man. And my wife is only she wants to remember me as a man, as a man that she married and stuff. And I understand that. That's, that's a legitimate viewpoint. Got it. Um, so fascinating stuff, Linda. So let's move forward now because all this time you've been LDS. I have been. Mission to uh, Argentina? I went on a mission to Argentina. Mm -hmm. I've been in two bishoprics, a high council. I've been in a district presidency. I've been in the high priest group. So I've always, always been active in the church. Okay, I'm going to ask you a straight up question. 
And this show, if we can't be honest, we can't be anything. Okay. Do you have a testimony of Mormonism? Yes and no. Okay. I, I do believe the Book of Mormon. I'm sure that it is the Word of God. Okay. I do believe that Joseph Smith was definitely a prophet. Um, I do believe that God guides the church today. And, but Through the modern prophet? Well, I'm having problems because of the, the way they're treating transgenders to me, or the LGBT community in general. In general. Is not Christ-like. Okay. And I struggle with that. Because how can it be Christ's church and yet they treat us the way that they do? They're not loving and accepting and helpful. So that part troubles me. Got it. The members in my ward have been very kind to me. But I feel like the, the church as a whole doesn't want me. They're trying to push me away, it feels like. It's really what you just said is interesting because I'm sensing, having been LDS, that what you just said, that the members themselves are pretty good with a lot of stuff. Yes. But that damn hierarchy on North Temple, there are some real, real pieces of work up there, man. They really are not letting go of the power structure. Well... I think there's so many things for them to think about. There's there's so many um, of the church basic teachings involved in this yeah. that it's really a quandary for them. And mm -hmm. and both the uh, transgender as well as in the uh, gays and lesbians and same-sex attraction, it some real problems for them uh, with their basic doctrine. And we'll talk about those. Uh, I do want to point out, and this is not a low ball, but. You said that you have an issue with the LGBTQ and the way it's being treated by the church as a the hierarchy today, and that bothers you, and so you're not sure about their inspiration as leaders. You're not sure. But did you have that same problem when you were an active faithful member with their treatment of blacks? That's, that's a very good question. It was fair. Um, I accepted it. In fact, a friend of mine asked me about it. I didn't think it was... It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't feel like they should have been excluded, but at the same time, the way I justified it was, well, if the prophet says that and he's inspired by God, then God is saying that, and what right do we have to question God? Sure. And I, I want to make this clear. I am not trying to bash the church in any way. Yeah. Yeah. So you took the standard line, and perhaps you have gained some empathy on the black issue, now that you've become an alienated, disaffected group within the church, and perhaps you've grown. It, in fact, it's interesting when we just celebrated uh, 40 years of, uh, of dropping racism. Yeah. We're celebrating that we're no longer um, um, racist. Yeah. But now we discriminate instead against the LGBT. Yeah. And I find that pretty interesting. It seems that the LGBT is, is just the black issue of, of, of today. Yeah, black I issue agree. today, yeah. And I think knowing Mormonism that what you're doing and what other people are doing are going to help break down some of those uh, walls. Well, I told the bishop, I don't feel like the church is ready for me yet. Yeah. The church is going to change. It has to change. But I hope it doesn't take over 100 years like it did with the blacks of the priesthood. Yeah. I'm not at all certain that I'll live to see the change in my lifetime. Uh-huh. Well, that happens with a lot of things, doesn't it? Yep. It's a sacrifice. Uh, so uh, when you made that decision, I can't live this way anymore, what happened within the ward, stake, church system for you? And what was happening? 
I came out to my bishop first, and of course he disagreed with me. And, but I told him, no, this is who I am, and I'm going to come out. And the, before Ashley went to church the first time, I called the Relief Society president and the primary president and young men and young women's president um, and some of the other leaders to let them know that I would be coming to church as Linda the following Sunday because they had known me for 25 years. Wow. And I thought, that's going to cause some discussion for sure. So I thought if I give them a heads up, they can sort of have an idea in their head how they might address it, particularly to the youth and stuff. What were the youth going to say? And I didn't want to... I wasn't trying to create a problem at all. I was just trying to be true to myself. Yeah. Uh, so I came out, and um, there, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion at first. Uh, a lot of people, some people recognized me, many did not. And then the following Sunday was fast and testimony meeting, and I went up to the pulpit and bore my testimony and told them that I was transgender. <gasps> and shocked them. Like my mouth. I'm just picturing it. <laughs> You've and, known people in that ward for 25 years. Yep. Sorry. Brother so-and-so is getting up. Mommy, is, I mean, what, Dad, what's happening? Yeah. How did, how, what happened with that? Did the bishop, they try to stop, they didn't try to stop you? No, because they, I'd already come out the week before. And um, afterwards, one of the people who used to be my home teacher was heading out the door and I Stuck my hand and I was like, hey, Rick, how's it going? And he looked at me and said, you sure sound like uh, Brother Gifford. And I said, well, I used to be, but now I'm Sister Gifford. And his face turned all white like he had seen a ghost, and he ran down the hall, and I got a big kick out of it. It's great fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so while you were uh, married and traveling for work and with the na uh, Air Force, Air Force uh, you, you told me earlier that you always packed clothes, and so, but in the Air Force, you couldn't come out either at that time. Oh, no, absolutely not. Now you can. I can. Now, certainly if I had come out, particularly in the time period where I joined the military, I would have been kicked out. I see. So I had to be very careful because that's what I depended on for how to support my family. Okay. So I had to keep it hidden. You sacrificed for yeah. 45 years. Yep. Um, you're a member of the church. You have a testimony of the Book of Mormon and of Joseph Smith as a prophet. You believe God yes. speaks through the leaders. And now what is your hope to do? And what are the main things you want the church to respond to you on? Well, I believe the leaders, but I th I've come to realize that uh, even if they're inspired by God, they do make mistakes. And I think we often make the mistake in churches saying, the prophet won't lead us astray because God won't let him. But if you go back and look at history, why didn't the blacks have the priesthood? It was because Brigham Young was a racist. That's, mm -hmm. My brother told me I need to quit reading anti-Mormon literature, and I said, no, you need to read the church essays yeah. because that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. It was just racism on the part of Brigham Young. Yeah. So that tells me they do make mistakes, mm -hmm. and they are human, and I, and I recognize that. So I'm hoping we do believe in continuing revelation, I'm hoping that with regards to transgender, they have not put out anything. They have no guidance on it. Hmm. They don't know what to do with this. They've put out quite a bit on the gays and lesbians, but hmm. very little, or nothing on transgender. Hmm. And they've admitted that that's not something they don't understand. They need to study it more. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that they will get uh, more revelation and realize 
that God always reached out to the disenfranchised, to those, to the outcast, mm-hmm. and the LGBT community is that community today. Yeah. And I think they need to be, I think they need to re-examine how they're treating us and be much more welcoming. They're losing a lot of members, unfortunately, because of how they're treating, and, and I don't think it's right. Their November 15th policy, for example, lost a bunch of members. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to treat us the way they're treating us. We're still good people. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I think the problem in the church is they think that the LGBT issue is because of choice. It's not choice. We were born this way. And if they can understand that we were born this way and, mm-hmm. and talk to the scientists and the professionals, they'll realize that this is not a choice. This is how we were born. So I, they need to treat us with more respect and compassion and kindness. And mm-hmm. um, I myself don't understand why I'm transgender, how, why I have this need. Mm-hmm. But as I've told different people in church and out of church is, I finally had to come to the conclusion that God made me this way for a reason. Okay. And I don't have to understand the reason. I just finally had to accept that that was the way it is and therefore accept his will mm-hmm. and let him worry about it. I know on the other side, he'll make it right. I've been asked, will I be resurrected man or, or woman? I'm not 100% certain, but I again, I'm going to let God worry about that, and I know that he will do what's right. Okay. So there's a few things. Um, If God is going to, and you have that faith and trust, which I love, that God will do what's right, why didn't God do what was right in the first place? Well, we know that we're in a fallen world. Ah, good. I was wanting to see if you would say that. And and things do happen. I mean, um, the church will say that... uh, transgender that that there can't be you can't change your gender and stuff but how do they explain intersex people yeah and for those who don't know that's people who are born with both organs do we still call them hermaphrodites no the is that politically incorrect yeah they don't call them that anymore they're called intersex intersex and i wish i was born intersex pardon i wish i was born intersex (laughs) then i could just have my way with everything well some people say transgenders, to a certain extent, are intersex. Okay. So you kind of are on that cusp of intersex. Yeah. Right. You d- it just didn't come out completely physically on you. Right. I, okay. I, I told my psychiatrist, and I've been seeing a good, faithful LDS psychiatrist for eight years now. Yeah. And I told him, I said, there is something in, the, in me that is definitely female. I have the outward appearance of, of a male, mm-hmm. but I know there is something in me that is female that's very strong. And it's very real to me. It's like I have a third leg. Okay. I couldn't point to it, and I couldn't say, find this in the x-ray, uh-huh. but it's there. It's a very real thing. Linda, what percentage is female, if we could break that down? I mean, I'm, I'm being I, simplistic, but... I don't know. Is there a male percentage in you still? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would it say truly in my, is intersex. I would say in my mind, I'm intersex. Wow. You know, that brings a lot of uh, enlightenment to me because I understand what we used to call hermaphrodites. Yes. That is a biological anomaly that blows my mind, right? Yes. So we just, all we're doing is moving a little bit to the right of that or the left of it and saying, yeah, this is the same thing. They, it just hasn't manifested itself physically. And that gives me more empathy for people who have this, um, what would you call it? Would you call it a blessing or a curse? Both, uh. okay? You have to realize that when you start out in the womb, genetically you're female. Yeah. 
and then as you uh, as you start developing, you become male. But you start out as a female. So what happens if that transition doesn't happen correctly? Completely correctly, all the way. Yeah. Wow. So and. There's some conjecture that perhaps the drugs that women take at birth and stuff may have impacted that. And, mm -hmm. and as we know, we're in a fallen world that's polluted and mm -hmm. maybe pollution has something to do with mm -hmm. that. And uh, We certainly hear a lot more about it today. Mm -hmm. I personally know four or five intersex people. Wow. Um, so it's out there and it's becoming, uh, people are recognizing it more, mm -hmm. they're coming out more. Is it happening more often today? Perhaps, and, and again, that could be because of uh, the pollution that we have. Sure. But it's, it's definitely there. Are there some who think that this would be cool and, and they just want to do that as mm -hmm. politically correct or, or fun? Mm -hmm. There's some, but they don't survive. Yeah, got it. In my opinion, you, you can't fake being transgender. Got it. Uh, I can't tell you how much you've enlightened me just in this, I, I, because I haven't given any time to think about it. And all I have thought about is what my prejudice told me from religious upbringing. No, this isn't. God made this, this and that. But as you grow and you learn and you get and you get educated from people who are experiencing it, I have now I have an ability to love you. I do have a bit of a prejudice of who I think are these young kids who are dressed and they seem to be doing it for attention. I don't. You've got. I mean, you've paid the price. 45 years of marriage, you sacrifice for the kids, you're 69, you say, I'm coming out, darn it. I mean, my hat is off to you, good, fine. But I do still have the prejudice that some people are faking it and I just don't like inauthenticity. I don't like, it's, and I gotta get over that, I guess, I don't know. Well, the truth of the matter is, is you look at whether you're transgender or gay and lesbian, there's a huge price to pay. And if it's, who would make that choice? Yeah. Who would go through that willingly? Yeah. It's not a choice. Mm -hmm. uh, I would agree with you, uh, really, uh, Linda, when it comes to your age and what you've gone through. But today's kids, I'm not so sure it's not a badge of honor. I'm not so sure they aren't regaled as just being so courageous and wonderful and accepting their uh, biological diversity and what they're and and I just worry that that influence and that sway causes them to make decisions that aren't really true to their heart like yours is that that concerns me well I think anybody who's in the LGBT community ought to seek professional help excellent and because it's a hard journey you yeah. you can't just say I think this would be fun for mm -hmm. this year I'm gonna be gay yeah okay yeah. And a, a professional can really sort it out and ask you about your feelings, why you have those feelings and all that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's that many fakes out there. There yeah. might be some, but not. Even in the youth, you don't think it's? No. Okay. They know. At a very early age, they know. And you did. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. So within the church, they won't let you use like the restrooms now. What, what's this about? I mean, I read that in the, the things you sent me. Tell us about that. Well, they've told me I can't use the women's restroom or the men's restroom. I have to use the family restroom. And I just talked to a friend yesterday whose bishop came to her and said, uh, I've got word down from the church you can't use the, either restroom, and they don't have a family restroom in that chapel. 
I'm sorry I'm laughing, but so like, I guess go outside, to, Linda. Go outside or pee your pants or I don't know what they want you to do in that case. Wow. And I think that's illegal myself. Yeah, yeah. What and I think the whole thing is a bunch of baloney to begin with, this whole bathroom argument. Yeah. Because it's it's all based on the thought that that you're going to molest, particularly male to female, you're going to molest the girls in there, which is just completely stupid. It's, I'm Tell going, the argument that you showed in the paper. Well, my argument is this. Number one, I'm. do you think I'm going to stop and look between the stalls and see what I can see? Right. I'm going to the bathroom to pee like yeah. anybody else. I'm going to use the stall and I'm going to go pee. Yeah. And then wash my hands and leave. And I said, if, if you're that concerned about uh, the transgenders in the restroom, why shouldn't you be concerned about um, lesbians as well then? Yeah. Or there's not a history in the church of transgender women molesting women. There's, there's a big history of priesthood leaders molesting women. Maybe you ought to be more worried about that. Yeah. But I also made the argument, uh, I asked him, how can you tell me that I can't use the restroom? I said, I am legally a female. I have changed gender legally. Hmm. My ID shows my name. I've changed my name and my gender legally. Hmm. I said, what are you going to do? Call the police? And they're going to come and say, oh, yeah, show me your ID. Yep, you're female. Uh, now what? They're, they can't arrest me as yeah. a female for using the women's restroom. Right. And he said, well, this is a private organization, and we privately own the building, and we can do whatever we want. And my response to that is, you need a better lawyer because I said your sign says open to the public and when you're open to the public you have to follow the rules and laws of the land including why do you have handicap stalls you didn't put that in there just because you thought that was a good idea yeah and if you think you can do whatever you want why do you submit your building plans for approval and I said how is it any different than me going to the mall which is privately owned and privately operated mm -hmm. and I said and if I went to the mall and they provide prohibited me from using the restroom I'd sue him and I'd win. I said, I think you need a better lawyer. That's not a very good argument. Really interesting. Uh, the name on the records. The church, the church has uh, uh, two references. First of all, Handbook 1, which is for bishops and state presidents, states that we use legal name. And of course, we've always preached that we obey the law of the land. And in my opinion, my, the name, and I've expressed this to my leaders, I don't think that's an ecclesiastical issue at all. It's a legal issue. Mm -hmm. And I don't see why the church even gets involved in it. And I personally do not recognize any authority of the church in regard to the name. Mm -hmm. It's a legal matter. And it, it, they have no say in what my name is. I see. Um, the handbook for the clerk says that people change names for any number of reasons, for family blending, divorce, marriage, adoption, and even personal preference. Mm -hmm. And it says legal names should be used. Mm -hmm. So when I changed my name legally, I sent it to my bishop and asked that my name be changed on the record. He sent it to the stake president. Stake president sent it to the area president who said, okay, he's got the documentation. Go ahead and change his name. I didn't ask for my gender to be changed because I knew they wouldn't. Is that the only reason? Uh, basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Will you ultimately push for that? Was because ultimate? it seems that that would be important. If you want your name changed to Linda, you'd want your gender to be changed from male to female. Well, I know of others who have been excommunicated for pushing for their gender change. Wow. So I really don't want to be excommunicated. So I said, okay, at least show me as Linda. Yeah. Um, and they changed the name. And then a few days later, they heard down from Salt Lake that, oh no, 
that can't be done without the approval of the first presidency. And I think that's because when the stake president changed the name, he added a note in there as to why a high priest would have a female name. Mm. So that if I went to another ward, they would know. And I think that's probably what triggered it. And Salt Lake came down and said, no, it requires the approval of the first presidency. So my stake president wrote a letter to the, uh, uh, wrote a form to the first presidency explaining what was going on. And they came back and said, you cannot change the name, nor can you show it as a preferred name in the church records. Amazing. And, um, and I honestly didn't believe it at first because I said, why would the church go against the law and against their own policies? And so I challenged them. I said, I don't believe it. I want to see it. And so the stake president met with me, and I did see the letter signed by all three members of the first presidency. And was kind of shocking. So I did send a letter to the stake president. And just for fun, his name is Lauren, and I address it to Lorena. Oh, you prankster. <laughs> and I, I uh, quoted the church policy. And I uh, included a copy of the court order, and I told them if they didn't change my name, it's clear discrimination, which is illegal and unethical, and requested again that they change my name. And I sent a copy of that letter along with a copy of the court order to the First Presidency directly. Anything? Nothing at all. It's been will you almost take legal, three months. Will you take legal action? Uh, I don't know yet. It's certainly wrong. And I also wrote a letter to Elder Ballard based on his devotional at BYU last November where he said LGBT folks uh, have a hard time sometimes understanding where they fit in in this gospel, but I assure you there is a place for you. And I wrote to him and I said, I'm not sure if you were talking to all of the LGBT community because so many times when church leaders talk to LGBT, they're really only talking to the lesbians and gays. They forget that there's several more included in the spectrum. And I said, as a transgender, I'm really having a hard time understanding where I fit in or if I fit in. And then on top of it, the restrictions that you've placed upon me. So they've come back. They've, I can't use the women's restroom. Salt Lake, when they came back and said I couldn't use the, um, I, I, they couldn't change my name, also said I couldn't have any jobs. So I was released from doing the bulletin. And, um, which can be done by a non-member. Which can be done by a non-member. And I asked the uh, state president, I said, I just want to make sure I understand. So I can go to sacrament, I can take the sacrament, I can give talks, I can give prayers, but I can't do the bulletin? It just, to me, makes absolutely no sense. It's just not logical at all. I, I don't get it. Uh, but they also told me I could not go to Relief Society or Priesthood. I can't go to or either. go to the bathroom or go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, I can't wear the female garments. Mm. Not allowed to do that. So I did ask him a question. I said, I, I just want to know, since I'm now legally divorced, I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. So given the church's uh, policy on same sex marriage, I'd like to know, should I date a man or a woman? And neither my bishop nor my stake president could answer that. They said they'd get back to me on it. And I told them, well, my thinking is this. You still say that I'm male. So therefore, I would think you would, your answer would be I should date a woman. And if I do that, what's the reaction going to be when I come to church holding hands with a woman? Mm. 
Or even the next step, what if I get married to a woman? Since I'm legally female, if I get married to a woman, that's going to be a same-sex marriage. <laughs> but maybe you're going to say that since you're legally female, you should date a man. But if that's the case, my records show that I'm male, so that's going to be same-sex attraction. So what should I do? Oh, what did they call that in Greek logic? It's a, it's an you cannot fix this this thing unless they make some real change. It yeah. seems like. Uh, final questions. I'm trying to think. You got me on a point with it, and I, I don't know if I can remember what it was. Anything that you have on your mind that you can talk while I'm anything you want to share? There was a question. Well, I had. it's. Uh... It's encouraging to me that I think the members are becoming more and more accepting of the LGBT community. Surveys show that they're becoming more accepting of it. Mm -hmm. um, in spite of the fact that the members are accepting, it hurts me deeply. My bishop asked me, why is the name so important? I said, well, how would you like to be called Norma? Would that be acceptable to you? And he said, well, no, my name is Mike. I said, well, my name is Linda. And a name is important to somebody. So yes, it is, does matter to me. It is an important issue. And so I've told my ward, I said, you're loving and you're kind, and I really appreciate that. But I feel like I need to be free to worship uh, my God in my way without restrictions. And I just don't think, um, I said, for emotional help, I'm not sure how long I can go to church or how much I can go to church. And so I am investigating other places where I can attend church and worship God freely. Can I suggest to you, having been LDS and then also having gone after the church for so many years, that they don't care and they hope you leave? Well, I, I think that that might be the case because I honestly think a real issue for them with the transgender is now they have a female who's got the priesthood. And they don't have a way, I don't believe that there's a way of removing the priesthood without excommunication. Now they've asked, my bishop asked me, well, what about the priesthood? And I said, well, I wouldn't feel right about using the priesthood as a woman. I understand that that's not okay. And I said, I wouldn't unless I was in a real emergency situation. I'm the only one around. And in that situation, a woman can give a blessing too. Like church history shows. As church history shows. So I said, no, I accept the fact that I should not exercise the priesthood even though I have the priesthood. Got it. Here's the thing I was thinking, and, and I, I belabored trying to draw it back up because I think it's important. And again, it's not to corner you, Linda, but you identify as a woman clearly. That is what you believe a, a, a large third leg of you is at least. Um, and yet you also believe in the LDS teachings and doctrine from Joseph Smith. Yes. Doctrine and Covenants 132 is states clearly that in the principle of eternal marriage is based on multiple wives. If you believe in Mormonism and its tenets, and that is why they continue to seal more than one woman to live men today, it's still practiced because it's an eternal principle, and they won't get rid of it. There's, in some ways, what you're saying is that if you are a faithful Latter-day Saint and you are a woman, that you now are throwing yourself into the eternal realm of potential polygamous union. Does that, what, how, how do you relate to that? How do you respond to that idea that as a faithful Latter-day Saint who believes in eternal principles that will be 
played out in the eternities, now that you're female and have chosen to go with what you believe you really are, that that is your end lot, perhaps. Uh, that does bother me. Mm. I haven't thought about it a whole lot, but again, it's one of those things. God will work it out. God will work it out. There's so many things that we don't know, and that's why we say we believe in continuing revelation. Yeah. And I think that the issue of the LGBT is hopefully one of those things that they will get continuing revelation to understand better, because it's not well understood in society and certainly not in the LDS church. So I'm hoping that they, but I, I believe fully that God is a loving God. He loves me. I know he loves me just the way I am, mm -hmm. and I know that he will do what's right for me. Mm -hmm. Got it. It's a good answer. Um, I, I want to share something with you, and then I want to ask you a final question, and if there's anything else, you can address the audience. And uh, What I want to share with you is that when you sojourn out into the outside the LDS realm, and if it's not our LDS or some offshoot sect of Mormonism, you're going to find that typically within Protestant evangelicalism or Catholicism, you will be rejected as well, in most of it. There, there's some liberal sections, and of course you might find it there, and the universalism, they might embrace you as well. But uh, I just want you to understand something that most Christian churches don't teach, and um, it's because of tradition, and that is Jesus came and he did for the world what could not be done and he did it past present future once and for all and he saved the world writ large and reconciled it to the father and it's done yes and so now there is no worry about worthiness belief this that this or the other it is love for everyone as they are that is the great news of the gospel, that Jesus came and he saved me and he saved you and he saved the homosexual and the heterosexual and the pedophile and the murderer and the rapist, and he did that work. Their choices in life will be worked out with God in terms of reward and all that reaping, but in terms of salvation, he's done the work. And so I just want to give you that message of hope as you sojourn out to look for perhaps another place outside of Mormonism, that as you're rejected by some of them, understand that the true good news is great news, and that if you hear anything otherwise, you're hearing a false gospel. The final thing I have for you, and then you can wrap it up with any thoughts you have for the audience, of other people who are transgendering or believe that they are of the opposite gender that they were born with, is what do you think of Jesus? Jesus is my Savior. I love Jesus. It's, uh, we should all be following Jesus. And Jesus taught that the first commandment was love God, and the second commandment is love your neighbor. Yeah. And I think it's, it's sad. He also taught us not to judge. Yeah. And I've mentioned that to people who get on my case, if you will, and yeah. say that I'm being very sinful, that I'm an apostate, yeah. and all these other things. And I said, well, who are you to judge? You know, if you look at God's teaching, first of all, you should be very charitable, and I would be very uh, hesitant to judge. And uh, something that I heard yesterday that really uh, impacted me was somebody said, Christ taught that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Be careful if you're on top. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. And I think um, so many of the churches today are just like they were in the time of Christ. 
They're, they're filled with Pharisees and Sadducees yeah. who go to the letter of the law. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, the important law is love one another and be charitable. And if we can do that, and wherever we live, we can live in peace and harmony. Yeah. And this is not to diminish uh, your cause, because you have a cause for people who are mixed-sexed. And I think that's a great word for me now. Um, but um, really, what we're talking about is your hair is a little bit longer. You have some makeup on. Maybe your genitals will be changed or not. You wear some different clothes and the bathroom you're going to use. But in the end, do you love? And, 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 and can't we get to the point where we see everyone that way? Okay. Are they loving each other? Are they? And, but the thing that is troubling to me from my heart to your ear, Linda, is that within your community and the community of the LGBTQ is that they don't bear with them, generally speaking, this love for Jesus. For some reason, they think because they are of this way that Jesus is not someone that they want to deal with. And that bothers me tremendously personally. Why can't transgender LGBTQ embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior and get on with it? But it seems to be a universal, and maybe I'm wrong on that, kind of resistance. I don't see that. but I, You don't I, see it? No. Okay, so then again, a, generally, a prejudice of mine. Yeah, generally I don't see that. Okay. But I have heard some that say they feel so hurt mm. by society, and they don't feel like God loves them anymore. Mm. And it just really hurts them and stuff. And because of that hurt, mm. um, they find it hard to believe in God in an, and in a church. Got it. Um, I think sooner or later in everybody's life, they realize that, that God is real. Mm -hmm and that he loves us, and that we need him. Uh, beautiful. It's kind of like, uh, you know, God, I really do believe you, but man, your followers are just driving me nuts. Yeah. Or why did you do this to me? Why did you do this? And that's why I'm so grateful you brought up the fall and what they means by that. Everyone is fallen. I have the propensity to kill small animals and light fires. I've had it since I was a kid. That's, I mean, that's a result of the fall. It's not a perfect thing in me, but it's something that's there. You have a propensity in you, or whatever it is, and, and God says, look it, I love the world so much, I'll send my son. The world's going to be messed up in different ways, okay? Exactly. Not everyone's going to have a perfect gender identity. Not everyone's going to love the opposite sex, but I love you so much, I'm going to give you my son, right? Yep. So uh, the, the idea is the fall does not mean that you are this reprehensible creature that has fallen to the point that God hates you. He loved you so much, he sent his son to save you in this fallen state. So I just want to make that sort of clear to people that when we talk about, and you say that perhaps the reason I have a gender identity crisis in my life or had one was because of the fall, that it's just like I was exposed to nerve gas when I was a, a child, and this is why I have this skin rash today, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Any final point you want to give to the audience, especially to those men and women who are gender challenged, you say that, and they're wondering about their identity and they're fearful, what would you say to them? It's never too, too late to be true to yourself. I don't think you can find true happiness if you deny who you are inside mm -hmm. and I know it's a, a, a thing that people fear and because of our society and how they reject so many times although that is changing thankfully 
It's so much easier today than it was even five or ten years ago, I think. But don't be afraid to be true to yourself. Really analyze yourself, and if that's really where you are, be true to yourself, and be true to your principles, too. Now, I had a person ask me in church, well, how can you believe in the church and yet be transgender? And I said, I don't see them as exclusive. I'm being true to myself, and I also believe I'm being true to my beliefs in the church. And in fact, I told my bishop, I said, I'm trying to stay active in church for three reasons. Number one, I believe in the church. Number two, the ward is friendly. Number three, most of them have never seen a transgender person in their life that they know of. And I think it's important for them to realize that we're not these weird people out there, that we're just like them. And we're struggling day to day to be the best we can and to follow Christ the best we can, just like they are. And I think they need to understand that. Fantastic. So grateful you've taken the time to be on the show with us, Linda. You've opened my eyes. You've helped one man, at least, overcome some uh, prejudice and some misinformation that's abided with me for a long time. And now I can, in turn, turn that and share that with our audience as the years go by when this subject comes up and to refute some of the stuff that just automatically comes out of us, especially, as you said, the older generation. One point I want to end with, you mentioned you used to be an angry person, but ever since you've come out, that has left you. My family used to tell me all the time that I always was upset. I would get angry over nothing. And that's just not the case anymore. And I think I was angry with, within myself. I was angry that I couldn't be who I really was. Mm. And I just don't feel that angry anymore. In fact, I made a New Year's resolution mm. that um, when people mistreat me, and they will, that my resolution is I'm going to treat them the way that I would like to be treated, even if they're mean to me. I'm going to really try to treat them kindly and the way that Christ asks us to do, because we've got to get to that point in our lives where we can treat each other that way. Mm-hmm. And I've done pretty good, I think, in that regard. And, and I, I try to love everyone, regardless of their prejudices and their beliefs. It's remarkable, because you're, you're talking about the golden rule, and you're talking about returning uh, evil with good, and you're talking about loving in spite of being despitefully used, and you're doing it, I'm sorry, I just have to say it this way, in a wig, and dressed as a woman that you believe that you are, where we have religious men who are clean-cut and pious who don't share that message who say we must judge and condemn and ostracize. And that juxtaposition of what I'm getting is just remarkable to me. It is just a, a really uh, wonderful thing um, to experience here on the stage. I really appreciate you coming. I would yeah. say one last thing. Yeah. I've made a comment online. There was, um, in one of my Facebook groups, people brought up the fact as LGBT, are we um, are we good enough to think that we can be saved in the end? And my comment to that was, I think LGBT people in general are much more charitable than most of those who criticize us mm-hmm. because of the experiences that we've been through. Isn't that the way life works? Yep. May we all be more loving, charitable, Christ-like, God-seeking, no matter what we're born with in this flesh. Thank you, Linda. I really appreciate your time and spending it with us. Thank you.